Welcome back to Dear Adam Silver, a show about sports, art, and the creative space they share. My name is Abigail Smithson, and as always, I am your host. Today's guest is a household name in the Dear Adam Silver world. New Orleans-based artist Abdi Farah is back, and we had the chance to discuss dunk contest highlights and issues, rethinking the idea of group exhibitions, and some of the best current NBA jerseys. Abdi and I could talk for days, and it's hard to fill all our thoughts into one podcast. I'm always excited to have him on and share the things that we've been thinking about. Hope you all enjoy, and please do not forget to share, rate, review, subscribe, all the things to the podcast. Your support means so much. Okay, here we go. So I just finished a book called This Is Where You Belong, The Art and Science of Loving Where You Live by Melody Warnick. This book had a lot of wonderful ideas in it, and one of the things it pointed out to me was that 52% of the money you spend at local businesses stays in your community, while only 14% stays local if you shop at big national chains. This is why I've been so excited to have Bookman's as a sponsor. Bookman's is a community-minded institution in Arizona. As an entertainment exchange, you can find books, records, movies, and more. And the best part is that almost all the items are traded in and sold to Bookman's from people who live in the community. I hope to encourage my listeners who live outside of Arizona to support their local bookstore and businesses. And to my listeners in Arizona, check out one of Bookman's six locations. And remember, Bookman's has cool covered. Yeah, so what did you, how did you feel about the All-Star game last night? What's your takeaway? I kind of thought it was great. Like, I, I was very suspect of the weird format and, like, trying to shoehorn... Kobe Bryant into everything, but I thought it was kind of a revelation. Uh, that fourth quarter oh my gosh. was very compelling. I know. <laughs> I did kind of, I go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it made me. It made me kind of think that every NBA game should just have a point limit, and the team should just be battling toward that point limit because the defense just ramped up, and you saw everyone kind of tensing up and that last uh, free throw that Anthony Davis he missed the first one and made the second one. It was kind of like, I, I kind of could see him shaking a little bit. It was like, oh my God, the whole game is on me. If I hit this bucket, it's over. Like the red team just could not find a good possession to put the ball in. Everyone was playing like all out defense. It was, it was pretty great. Yeah, I totally totally agree i mean i also thought it was just interesting not having a clock going i mean i'm so used to looking at the clock besides the shot clock looking at like the the 12 minutes counting down and i just like that they could have played for like 30 minutes for that one quarter quote unquote you know that it could have just continued on if no one had made a shot i think it was kind of disappointing that it ended i mean i i liked the tension of of ad having to make one of those free throws and missing the first that was very exciting but i i wanted like I mean, I'm not sure why James Harden didn't go for that layup when he had the chance and he had, like, that wide-open lane. Weird, yeah. <laughs> I feel like everyone everyone got very nervous. It was like, I've totally. never seen James Harden pass up a shot. No. And now he's, like, almost at the cup for, like, a layup and passes it up. It was, it was 
pretty cool, actually. Yeah. <laughs> like, people losing the ball. Like, Kyle Lowry is taking charges. Like, what the hell? Like, so on? many like, charges. <laughs> like, I mean, it was just... Like, they're arguing with the refs. Like, I've never seen people argue with the refs. Like, I hate the fact that every single play in an NBA game now has people arguing with the refs. But it was kind of exciting in that fourth quarter to have them arguing. Totally. I mean, I think I felt I took some comfort in them doing that because I was like, this does matter. <laughs> like they're, they're getting into it with the refs and, uh, you know, uh, that new rule about um, being able to challenge and replay and all of that. Like that was also an interesting thing last night. And Giannis's block yeah, slash goaltend, like I and, and Giannis blocking uh, LeBron. I mean, it just was, oh, that it was, was that amazing. Was my favorite. That was my favorite. Yeah. I, I love Giannis. Giannis is like a person, like he didn't grow up in the United States, so he just doesn't even realize that an all-star game is kind of supposed to be fun. And right. the pin on the glass, I love that so much. Yeah, he it, it was just going for it. And um, I mean, I, I think I do like sometimes in the all-star game, like I like watching them do like crazy stuff. Or, you know, I just felt, especially on Team Giannis, that, what we were kind of texting about, like, basically, um, it was Trey Young, or, yeah, the the point guard for the for the red team. Like, if he threw the ball anywhere near the basket, if Giannis and Joel Embiid and Rudy Gobert are close, like, that's an alley-oop that is really likely to happen. Um, so I feel like their team was kind of set up for, like, some serious, like, highlights around the around the rim which was exciting to see and his crazy three-pointer at the buzzer and all that um but I also like when it got I mean there weren't as many highlights there were some defensive highlights later on but it just seemed like they were all trying really hard to do like basic things and it wasn't working for a while and then um yeah I just so I thought it was great I really liked the idea that of like the quarter by quarter um and you know having it having this money go to these different organizations was really exciting and having these kids involved which i think put extra pressure on the players not to want to disappoint these children which is which is totally yeah, valid they kept, they kept showing them in the crowd cheering i thought that was pretty great right and just you know looking nervous looking excited yeah i think it was a good it it felt it felt good i i thought the um i thought that Two and twenty-four, having everybody have that mm-hmm. number on their jersey was just very, like, kind of beautiful and poignant. And just, I mean, it's it's so much, it's interesting how we even have numbers in a basketball game. These these guys are so famous; everyone knows who they are. Like, who cares what right. LeBron James's number is? So it's really nice to have everyone like with that twenty-four and two, like honoring Kobe and his daughter. I thought that was just a really nice like simple gesture um yeah just the the little things that were happening like the adding of the 24 even though i didn't really understand the rules of the game until it played out and then it kind of clicked into place and kind of made sense um like renaming the mvp trophy i thought that was a really nice gesture i I think even like really big kobe bryant fans were like, oh, don't change the logo. Like, that's maybe a little too far. But I think that, like, the, like if all-stars, like, if there's one kind of phrase that you can attach to Kobe Bryant, it probably is all-star. Um, so the idea of renaming that trophy for him is pretty pretty sweet. Yeah, I felt that that was a really nice um, 
touch. It was interesting. I mean, I just think that Kawhi Leonard does not want anything to do with being asked questions or speaking into he's a microphone. A, he's a strange He's such a strange Oh <laughs> um, my favorite, My favorite part of the game was watching him interact with his old Toronto teammates and, like, Pascal Siakam mm-hmm. and Kyle Lowry, like, trying to, trying to joke with them. And it's almost like like the jokes about him being a robot almost <laughs> were proved true. It was like, it's like he almost forgot who they were. It was like, like, why are you messing with me? Why are you talking to me? I don't know you people. It was very yeah, weird. I heard some, like, I guess Pascal Siakam had a mic on, and so I, I heard some of his jokes, and it just, they, they weren't, like, they weren't landing right with Kawhi necessarily, or no. just, like, just a little bit. Like, like something we, is we missing here. We spent a whole here. year with you. We won a championship together. What the right. hell is going on? I did watch in the beginning where Magic Johnson like led this moment of silence or eight seconds of silence, which I thought was was nice to have him be a part of that. Um, I think that that was one of my favorite parts of like the sort of honoring Kobe was was this like eight seconds of silence which I think was pretty with all the players on stage just thought it it was really fitting and simple and and worked well yeah there's something about all like I I guess sometimes I'm kind of a all-star game cynic where I'm I'm just like who gets to be an all-star like why are we doing this uh, it's just weird that we kind of stop the season but there's something really great especially about NBA all-star where there's just so many, I mean, I, I guess the NBA is still such a young league, so many. I mean, I guess that's what makes the, like, Kobe Bryant's death so heartbreaking is that for the most part, so many of the stars are still around and mm-hmm. are still connected with the game. And, and you go to the All-Star game and so many people are in the in the stands. I mean, the Saturday night before, they're like, like Dwayne Wade and Scottie Pippen mm-hmm. or like Dr. Guys. J. Parker, or, yeah, Dr. J, all these people are helping judge the dunk contest. And then during the All-Star game, it's like the crowd is just full of celebrities and old NBA All-Stars and just like people we've grown up with. Um, it's really nice how the NBA, it, it's like people, unless something tragic does happen and people do like pass away, they, they kind of don't leave the game, which is a really nice, thing um i mean my my guy alan iverson he's just like mm-hmm. a fixture now he's just like courtside everywhere um and I, I love that he's like like beloved by the younger players and he's kind of becoming this like elder statesman that no one ever predicted he would become and i mean definitely kobe bryant was that for so many of these guys um so i, I like seeing i mean there's never not going to be a time until he doesn't want to be where Magic Johnson is going to be associated with the NBA. Totally. I think that it, this idea that if you, you can be as much a part of it, a part of the NBA for as long as you want to be, or that that's the, the feeling I get. I know that that doesn't apply maybe to like players that, um, had a harder time or were more maybe like politically outspoken or what their comfort level is with being involved. But it oh, just, sure, it feels yeah, a... like a good vibe if you ignore some of that. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I mean, I think which, that was... Yeah, the... which is... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that was the thing that I... I mean, when, when Magic was taught, Magic talked in the beginning, he also spoke about David Stern. And it's just, it's also so interesting because this whole thing with Kobe has completely overshadowed... Um, David Stern, which is like rightfully so, because this is much more shocking and much more like violent and upsetting. Um, 
because David Stern was much older and it seems like it made more sense for him to to not be around for as long. Um, but yeah, Magic was just talking about how when he found out that he had HIV, like he was still allowed to play in the All-Star game that happened right after and that he felt supported by David Stern. And it's just like there's so much history there that has to do with like the country's own history. It just it there's it's really powerful. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it, it's I mean, there's I mean, I guess. I mean, for some reason, I guess football is still the biggest sport in America. I guess it's just there's pure ratings, but I just don't think there's any other sport that's so tapped into the popular consciousness and pop culture. I mean, the amount of celebrities who are in the mm-hmm. stands and the amount of people who are in like the discourse on Twitter. I mean, maybe we're just in like our own little basketball bubble. Maybe there are a lot of people who just like don't really care. But there's something, I don't know, there's something bigger. And, and I guess it's not just conjecture. I guess it was proved right with the outpouring for Kobe Bryant. But I just don't think there's any, I'm like trying to think of another field of culture where the passing of somebody big within that world would mean so much. I mean, us as artists, it's like the biggest artists in the world died. I mean, who would really care i mean that yeah. sounds kind of terrible <laughs> no um, i think that's really a, that's an important point yeah i mean maybe soccer like maybe it's like i don't know ronaldo or messi or somebody i mean i don't want to talk morbidly like that or sure, wish anything yeah. bad upon anybody but i'm just trying to think of what that would be and it was interesting that somebody within the world of basketball was the one to kind of bring that out of everyone um yeah, basketball. Yeah, I mean, I guess the numbers just don't prove it, but it, it's 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 humongous, like its reach. Yeah, I'm one. I just wonder sometimes if they just played less, if people would watch more. <laughs> like it just there's so during the regular season there's like so little at stake, like from game to game that it's it's hard. I yeah. mean, last night was so exciting because it was like wow, like all of a sudden this matters and like there's not another all-star game after this like you you want to win this and whereas I think like sort of day in and day out it's kind of hard to um to stay uh super excited about it in the way that like every Sunday in football it's like this is kind of like do or die in a sense um and and I mean I also think that sometimes like that I I kind of want to be able to watch the teams that aren't as good that aren't the like primetime um, teams, like the Celtics and the Rockets and the Bucks and like the Warriors up until now. I I want to be able to watch teams like just different teams to get more of a variety, and it's just like it can get a little sort of mundane when it's the same teams over and over again being showed on national television. So that that kind of takes some of the excitement out of it. Yeah, I think the NBA has done so much right with how it has set up its business. But the thing that is just mind-boggling to me is how hard it is or just why there isn't a game on. Like, I, I just feel like when we were kids, there were games on all day Saturday, all day mm, Sunday, yeah. like back-to-backs, whatever. And maybe, I mean, I guess I guess the stuff, if you have cable, the TNT games during the week are pretty popular. But, I mean, I just haven't had cable since I was, I don't know, probably in high school. Sure. Um, yeah. So I, I I follow the NBA through like watching the highlights after the games on YouTube, which I think is pretty great that they don't crack down on that. Um, 
I also like wake up in the morning and just like read to the box store box scores and try to get a nice little summation of what happened the night before. Um, but with football, it's like Sunday all day is football. It's like on regular TV, on CBS, on Fox. I mean, I'm not sure with like people in 2020, especially people younger than us, like does it matter if something's actually on TV? I don't think time and watching stuff live is super important as like a indicator of whether or not something is, I don't know, is popular or capturing the zeitgeist as it is. But I don't know, there's something where it does, you are able to check out um, from time to time, which has kind of been the nice thing about having um, these Pelican season tickets. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, since I've I've paid for them already, it's, it's kind of like I'm, kind of like I have a gym membership. And, <laughs> yes. Well, I got a game on Tuesday. I got to go, go see this game. Even oh. if I'm not 100%, like if, if it's not, if I'm super busy or have some work that I need to finish, I'm like, oh, let me stop this and roll over to the stadium and watch this game. And by the time I get in transit to the stadium, I'm pretty happy that I went to the game. And like you talked about watching strange teams uh, that's kind of what having season tickets is. It's like, okay, we're watching uh, right. Oklahoma City tonight or we're watching Phoenix tonight. <laughs> it's like whoever is in the building. Totally. And I think that those sort of ran- more like random matchups are sometimes – I mean, I want to watch like the eighth seed play the ninth seed, you know, like because I think that that there's like more at stake there for them. Than there might be between uh, other teams that are like so so much more dominant that they're definitely going to the playoffs, especially this time of year. So I I kind of like, yeah, just like the the teams that get less coverage are more sort of interesting to me because I they're not as they're not on my radar as much. And yeah, I mean, I I have that password for my mom's DirecTV, so I can watch TNT uh, whenever there's a game. And oh, I mean, do you have? Does she have? I mean, do you have League Pass? I, I mean, do not have League Pass. Pretty- I just have TNT and ESPN. Um, so I mean, this time of year, that's like you know five or six games a week. Um, but it's yeah, it's like always these like. Well, mostly they try and plan it so that it's it's like the best teams. Um, so that is true. Like the TNT games are definitely like a lot of uh, a lot of bad Warriors games. No offense, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. You're telling me it's been it's been weird. It's like, is this necessary? I mean, I want to support them and watch them, but it's also like they are always showing them playing the best teams in the league. It's like, damn, this doesn't seem right. It was also so. The, I mean, it's so Warriors, weird. The Warriors are gonna win. They're gonna win for losing. They're gonna like. They're going to get the number one pick, and they're going to get, like, James Weissman. It's going to be obnoxious. It's going to be right back on top again, so don't yeah. worry about that. No, I'm hoping that uh, there's a strong comeback. It was really strange not having anyone. Uh, there was, like, no war here last night anywhere. Oh, that is true. Zero all-stars. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. crazy. And now I have to become attached to Andrew Wiggins in some way. I just was getting I, attached I'm to D'Angelo Russell. Andrew Wiggins. I'm rooting for him. I'm, I I always root for players who are kind of like picked early and then didn't really mm-hmm. amount to anything. I don't know. Maybe that like maybe I see some of myself in them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I'm like, I'm like, Come on! Who are like number like early draft picks that don't kind of do too much. Uh, so I'm hoping he has a, a renaissance <laughs> in uh, Golden State. 
Yeah, I hope that this is where he just like blossoms into, you know, the next whoever. I mean, I think that he was under, as all uh, really high draft picks are, he was under so much pressure and he just hasn't, he hasn't met these extremely high expectations, which I don't fault him for because that's really difficult to do. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm and hoping. Had, and he's had like seven, he's had like seven coaches in like right. eight years, like something crazy, like six coaches. It's like, there's, we cannot underestimate, uh, the NBA is this really interesting picture. I mean, sports in general, this interesting picture of like how just where you're drafted, what situation you're put in has so much of an effect on how successful you are. Definitely. And I mean, there was, there's been like drama in Minnesota the past few seasons that's like you know might have affected him that he was like involved with so I definitely think that um fresh start clean slate you know um it seems like the Warriors are a supportive supportive group for for like up-and-comers so we'll see and he has to be at best he has to be like the fourth best player on the team like there's not the expectation that he has to be like the number one pick or like the second option or instant offense or I mean he's probably still going to be instant offense because he's been decent on that end but um yeah so I mean you're always going to walk around with that number one draft pick badge on you which right. is just a gift and a curse I mean it, it helps sometimes but I think more than likely you would love to be pick number two or I don't know 20 I don't know somewhere down the line yeah. but uh being with the Warriors I think is the best case scenario yeah we'll see how um how everything plays out um I was actually thinking when I was watching because I I watched more of the all-star um festivities this weekend than I normally do and I watched the rising stars game and I was thinking that it's crazy that that Luka Doncic is on the rising stars sort of world team he's also a starter on the all-star team and he's a candidate for mvp it's like i think that we can just say he's a star like i don't think he needs to like be on this other you know the other team it's just kind of interesting that he's so young still so new to the league but also you know has all this like superstar like accolades or is getting there or or the fact that he's just not jaded like i feel like most people if they Mm. get into the uh, all-star game it's like man forget all the other stuff I'm not like just a rising star I'm a freaking all-star <laughs> right. um, where he's just a basketball player he's a hooper he's like I want to play in all of it I want to play against John Moran and all these other guys and Zion and yeah. all of that. <laughs> it is good it was just he was everywhere you know like I mean it's just um, yeah he's like Mr. Mr. Basketball right now, for sure. It seems that way. I mean, I hate the politics. I don't know what kind of coaching goes into the All-Star game, but there's just no way in the world that he's not, like, one of the 10 best players and shouldn't be out there in crunch time Mm -hmm. for the All-Star game. I know LeBron's team won, but if they would have lost, it's like, what are you doing? You got Luka Dodgers on your bench. You got Jason Tatum out there. I mean, you're, like, some of their best players – even though they're younger, it's like, I know you got to get your guy out there and have Chris Paul and have Russell Westbrook and have James Harden. But I don't know. I thought some of their best players, same on the other team. I don't know. I mean, I guess Nick Nurse, he's the coach of Toronto. You got to go with your guys and have Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam. But man, I would have had Trey Young out there. Trey Young would not have been afraid to shoot, like have some of these people out here that could put the ball in the basket. 
Totally. I think that that's also why it might have felt kind of funky at the end because those players had been in there for a long time without any sort of switching out. And they they there just was like this lack of kind of um, creativity is not the right word, but just like it was just weird that like Joel Embiid was like backing down LeBron James like three plays in a row. Like it just it just seemed like there wasn't that same like spontaneity and excitement that there had been before with all of those new all stars. Yeah, it was a weird, weird group out there. I mean, I guess the defense clamped down, but I, I, yeah, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure how much autonomy the coaches have, or it's like I guess the young players just kind of defer to the older players. But I'm just like watching Donovan Mitchell and Luka Doncic and Trey Young, and I'm just like, ah, I think these guys are better than these guys who are on the court. Yeah, I mean, or just, I mean, just had more sort of like excitement and momentum behind them from from it just being uh, their first game or one of their first games, rather than it feeling kind of like the the greatest hits. Yeah, or like I almost almost had this thought that the All Star All Star game because like I was. I didn't even mention Dame Lillard, who's had like the hottest like last couple of months of anybody. Right. And he's sitting there on the bench like chewing his jersey. They should have like a four it should be a four team all star team final four bracket thing and just oh, allow yeah. more people to play. Cause it just doesn't make sense that every single all star game that's probably my least favorite thing. Now I'm now I'm becoming like the all star game grump again. But that's just my least favorite thing. It's like all these guys are amazing. And half of them, not even half of them, two-thirds of them are just sitting on the bench watching LeBron for the 17th straight year right. do LeBron things. I mean, I love LeBron, but it's like I kind of know what LeBron's going to do out there. Um, yeah, I, I almost wish there was, like, divide the teams up even more, maybe have just smaller teams, teams of, like, eight, like a couple bench players, but everyone's really just playing all the minutes yeah. uh, see what the heck happens. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there it, there could be, it does tend to feel, I mean, I think last night it worked because, to some extent, because there was like a shift in how people were playing, which felt exciting. But I think that it it, it just, when the, st- the stakes need to feel higher in some way. And so, like, yeah, like a sort of a tournament or, you know, um, something a little bit more cutthroat could, could be better. And yeah, it'd be nice to see people play more rather than just a couple, couple minutes. Yeah. Especially, I mean, I just want to see, like, I don't want to see LeBron play with Anthony Davis at the All-Star game. Like, that's just not super yeah, exciting to me because I'm it seeing it all the time. Like, oh, my God, of course, of course LeBron's going to have Chris Paul and Anthony Davis out there, like, yeah. his, like, buddies. Um, but, I mean, it's LeBron's league, so. Totally. I mean, I, I can understand why he makes the decisions that he does. It's just, it. I, I would like to see things get a little bit more... Um, mixed up, I guess, when they're playing with each other. Um, I also have to just say a little bit about the dunk contest. Because... Oh, my God. Yeah, we have to talk about that. <laughs> this was just not... Okay, so after a while, I, I mean, I was like my hand over my eyes a little bit because it was just... I, I just didn't want to see either of them really lose because they had put both put a lot of effort into it. But it just... Um, it just felt bad for Aaron Gordon. Like it sucks that he has competed in this so well um, and can't seem to win. And then there's this like mix up with the judges. They're all blaming each other and like 
like throwing each other under the bus without actually like naming names and I also want to say that I really appreciate what they can do physically like I'm so excited by the dunks I also don't need to see them jumping over other people again like I feel like there has to be another <laughs> exciting dunk to do it feels like that's a, getting a little I mean it's impressive extremely impressive it just feels a little like okay you've now jumped over like one of the tallest people in the NBA like that's it for now nothing that's not going to impress me as much as it did this year you know yeah well it was cool well first of all what like I mean I know it's a stupid kid's game and that it's just all-star weekend and it's all exhibition and it's all fun but like Aaron Gordon should be going to like Judge Judy or somebody oh to, my God. to the judge. It's like, what's that? Like, nobody had gotten a score worse than oh. like 48 the whole right. time. And for some reason, on that last dunk, which was so great, we got like a 47. Got like, We thought that Derrick Jones got a terrible score when he got 1 9 or 2 9. Yeah. And then Aaron Gordon got 3 9 for a dunk that I thought was probably better. I, I just don't know what is going on. It's funny, Aaron Gordon's going to go down in the dunk contest Hall of Fame and have never won a dunk contest. He has genuinely 10 dunks that are phenomenal, the best dunks I've ever seen. They're just like stretch my imagination of how he does these things. Totally. Um, I do agree like oh my goodness like the one off the side of the backboard with like the like the windmill reverse yes. 360 just like how do you do this this is it all of his dunks were gorgeous i don't know yeah I, I i do agree with you that the there was something about like i don't know which of the like him versus Zach Levine with the when him when he jumped over the mascot. Sorry, yeah. I'm stumbling over my words. Uh, but there's something kind of cool about jumping over the mascot. There's something inhuman about the mascot <laughs> that feels fine. I don't know. It was or, cute. Uh, I mean, it was cute. Like mascots yeah. are kind of cute. It's charming. You know, it's like yeah, it's like this Technicolor mascot. He's like yeah. on a. I think he was on like a hoverboard and. Uh, there was something similar when Blake Griffin jumped over the car, which was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something I like about jumping over the inanimate object. And there's just something kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure why so many people agreed to get jumped over. Maybe it's not my, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't think that, um, I don't think everyone that was jumped over agreed to it ahead of time. Yeah. I mean, there were some serious it's negotiations like, happening they, they on the court. The ball to, like jump over them. It's like, oh my god, I gotta have this dude's like, like butt crack on my, I know. On my head. Like, oh like my at god. the sweatiest point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I and I also, I mean, like he, that was not a that was not the cleanest jump over. I mean, he he like hit his head I mean, a little the bit. Fact I, that he's got seven feet in the air is impressive. I know. 100%. Very impressive. Super amazing. Like, yeah, Chance the Rapper is like an actual famous person. He just let himself get jumped over. Right. I know. It's, just, <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a funny thing. And one thing that kind of breaks my heart about Aaron Gordon is that he like needs to win a championship now in order to like counter 
act like his career being defined by not winning at the dunk contest. Like that's what I mean, he's known no, for. He's, he's a champ, he's a champion in my book. And, sure. I mean, yes. He's, he's got the best dunks I've ever seen. Well, and he's just—I mean, just incredible. Like the different things that he was able to do. I mean, he just had quite a range, which was nice. And, like, the things midair, super impressive. I just feel like, I just, yeah, I, I feel for him. I want him to, I want him to get a trophy of some kind. <laughs> you know, I it just, it's like, it's, um, it's just, yeah, that was such a weird thing. And the, 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 I felt like the judges weren't communicating properly with each other. And it just, it wasn't, it wasn't a great look. And then, yeah, so we'll see. I feel like Darren. rare. It's rare to have someone like it, it, I guess it's kind of a um, a testament to his character because most people like do the dunk contest once and then they're like, oh, I'm too big for this, I'm not doing it again. And he just seems to be game. It's like, all right, I lost, I'll do it again. I'm, I know I'm the best dunker out here, I'll do it again. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't come back next year and, and try to win it one more time. Yeah, I I feel like he. If <laughs> I feel a lot of things about that. I feel that he needs to be given like some kind of you've done this so many times and put so much effort into it. We're going to let you win this. <laughs> like whether he has no, the best I, time. I, I don't want that. I don't want that. I mean, it just it just sucks that possibly he definitely won this one. And I I personally think he won. Uh, did he go against Zach Levine twice? Has he lost three times? He's so he's he's lost three times and but he I think he just lost to Zach Levine once but that was when it was like what how could this you know yeah yeah I I think he won that one also <laughs> right I know I just I but I don't... it's like hey you know the 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 winner doesn't always win I mean look at our politics look at our sure. elections oh my god. Yeah, the, I guess this was kind of like an electoral college upset at the yeah. contest. <laughs> no offense to Derek Jones Jr. I'm not comparing him to anyone else, but it's just yeah, it's just a little bit of a um, yeah, it was just a little bit disappointing, and to have it, it just, like it come down weird. to a logistical like a logistical issues where there like wasn't clear communication between the judges. Like that's also a little weird. Yeah, it's just weird to have. Like, I, I, I don't like that 50 score. I mean, I guess it's just, like, historic, but it just doesn't leave a lot of room. So it just got to a point where everybody was getting 50s and everybody's getting 49s. I, I don't know. It's like maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Like, maybe you should definitely dock points for missed dunks or something. I don't know. Right. I... Like, make, it, make, it, make the parameters way more crystal clear. Yeah. Yeah, I agree that there should be there should be like more lower scores in order to differentiate between like the amazing dunk and the fantastic dunk and the great dunk. You know, it's like there needs to be more of a kind of a scale. Um, I do have to say that one of my favorite parts was all the players that weren't participating, hanging out on the sidelines, like freaking out after every dunk. I love that part. <laughs> like, That's my favorite part of All Star Weekend. I know. I just I love there. I mean, just the. It, the intensity of that and just that I don't know I don't think anyone is telling them to do that it's just what they want to do no 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 (laughs) I love it it's really it's really cool when like I think like I know when I walk through a museum like half the time I'm just kind of rolling my eyes but those like rare times where Mm, you see some art that you actually are impressed by and it's really cool to see people who are excellent who are professionals like one of 
only a few hundred people that are in the league that are genuinely awed by somebody else in their cohort doing something that they kind of can do, but not to that level. Um, I, I think the, the response is definitely genuine. Yeah, and then like they're like videotaping, you know, they're all on their phones. It's like it just yeah. it seems so it's so cute and it's so like they're such real people in the sense like that they're they're just also fans. And that's so exciting to see um that happen and I mean obviously that was happening in the All-Star game too and it's just a really nice a really nice part of it that I don't think I haven't really spent time watching any other like I haven't watched the Pro Bowl. I haven't watched the I've watched like a oh couple my God, of baseball. Sorry? I've, yeah, I never watched the Pro Bowl. Yeah, it just doesn't, I don't know, it's just not as enticing to me. So I just, like, I the camaraderie of All-Star Weekend is is pretty um, exciting. And also when, like, things get kind of, like, you know, when things get more competitive, that's, like, Aaron Gordon was not okay with losing. <laughs> and that's also okay no, to see. He should not have been. Right. I mean, yeah, that's just some yeah, frustration. Sports is like the one place where it's, I mean, is the word, I guess it's a, it's meritocracy of the word, where it's like, okay, we put more points on the board, we won the game. And like the three-point contest is like, I I hit more three-point baskets than you saw I won. And this dunk contest is like the one thing that has this subjective bent to it that makes it so much unlike most other sports. And... I think most competitors, it's like if you beat me straight up and I lost, that's fine. But I know Aaron Gordon is just like, what the hell just happened? Totally. And I think that the – I mean, it's kind of like a in, – in art terms, it would be like a craft versus like a conceptual piece where it's like, oh, <laughs> you, know, you know how to do this so well. Your technique is perfect. You nailed it versus like – what does this mean? What does this dunk mean in like the grand scheme of like every other dunk contest and and Wait, all is that? This, is this scenario, is this scenario is Aaron Gordon the conceptual artist? Or yes, is Aaron the... Gordon is the conceptual artist. I mean, so is Derek okay, Jones I, Jr. I, I, and like, I agree, I agree. Buddy Heald <laughs> is not the conceptual artist in this case, and um, neither is Devin Booker. I mean, I'm sure they could be in other scenarios, but they are the the craftsmen, and then. The, there's this like personal sort of individual creative expression through the the dunk contest and I think that's why it's like I when I'm like when they're s- jumping over the people like so much that's why I'm like oh I want to see like another like an object out there or a different sort of thing but I have to just say this one more time extremely like impressive totally impressed all the time yeah, I think it's, it's so funny that he hasn't won the dunk contest because I, I really think Aaron Gordon saved the dunk contest. Mm-hmm. Before, maybe, well, maybe Zach Levine did first. But them two, the dunk contest was in a really weird place where it just wasn't entertaining and they were like letting people try a million times and they had these weird experiments where they had like dunk contest teams. Do you remember that one weird year where it was like, East versus West yes. in the dunk contest, and it was like John Wall and Paul George right. and I don't know some other person that I don't remember. Um, and Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon have brought it back to this Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins, yeah. like very beautiful, very high art level of dunking that I'm pretty grateful for as a fan of the dunk contest. Yeah, definitely that. 
like individual creativity and still has that um like how did you do that how is that possible which is exciting yeah, and I, I think yeah insane yeah, some of the, yeah I will be watching I, I I have like a running YouTube list of videos that I watch frequently the Aaron Gordon Zach Levine dunk contest I watch a lot oh, this that's new amazing. dunk contest from last night I probably will watch like once a week for the foreseeable future um, so I'm, I'm pretty grateful for that yeah yeah definitely it was really really impressive um, okay so I think we've covered a lot of our feelings about the All-Star game, mostly positive. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I want to watch, like, another All-Star game tonight. It was just, like, exciting, and I just um, – there were a lot of curveballs, and, and I just thought it was – I mean, they're all, they're all on TV. I, I was watching um, – I mean, I guess with uh, – I mean, YouTube. I guess with, like, Kobe Bryant's passing, I was going back and watching some right. old, um, like, Lakers finals, and – I mean, Kobe Bryant was in 18 All-Star games. You can go back and watch some of his good ones. Um, yeah. yeah, it's like a nice little snapshot of the league. It's like, oh, my God, so-and-so was an All-Star? So, it's like, right. years like, yeah, it's like, uh, there's some, you know, I'm trying to think of some, like, weird people who are, like, one-time All-Stars. I, I can't think of any right now. Right. Never mind. Well, Andre Godala was was an All-Star um, yeah, Andre like Godala way was back born. when. Like, Drew Holiday was an All-Star once. Um, yeah. yeah, it's like a nice little snapshot of where the league was. Totally. I've really got to start. Um, I feel like sometimes I get into periods where I'll, I'll like YouTube a bunch of stuff. Like I'll spend like one afternoon, like three hours, like YouTubing like old Whitney Houston music videos and um, yeah. like Michael Jordan highlights and stuff like that. And then I forget about it. I'm like, wow, that you can access like the history of the world like from this point. Um, and it is really great for for sports, especially just total throwbacks. Oh yeah, old sports is like it's all free. It's all out there. Right. It's great. It's like, I would rather watch old Michael Jordan games, no offense to the NBA now, than most <laughs> games that come up. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I know. It's like the the romance of the past definitely uh, kicks in. I, I had these like three VHS tapes. Like, I mean, I don't watch them anymore because they're VHS, but they were, these, they were documentaries about Michael Jordan, but also about um, those like first three championships. And they were so exciting to watch, even though I watched them like, you know, like 25 times each. It was still like, oh, my God, they're playing the Blazers. I'm, I'm- like, what's going to happen? <laughs> Oh, you you know it's gonna happen. I know it's um, gonna. I'm happen. pretty sure I had. I'm pretty sure I had the exact same VHSs. I had that like the Michael trilogy. Jordan 37 minute VHS that I would watch <sighs> literally before every single basketball game. Um, yeah, I, I I know the beats of that video is by heart. It's a shame I don't have a VHS there to watch. I'm, well, I could just find it on YouTube. What am I talking about? Yeah, I think I've I've watched a couple on YouTube. They're still really compelling to me. So I definitely recommend it. Um, they haven't lost their their power so far. And it's actually how I went, I went to Michael Jordan's, the house that he lived in when he was growing up in Wilmington. Um, wow. Is I that just, like a museum? Is that like a Graceland no. situation? Like Dolly World situation? It's just a, I think, I don't know if someone else lives there now or what. I mean, I just drove by it, but I recognized it from the VHS. That's how I was able to confirm, like, this is the spot. Wow, that's that's next level dedication. Yeah, I did his commute. I drove from his house to his high school. 
Uh, yeah, it's wow. I was, this, is, <laughs> this is this is real information. <laughs> yeah, I, it's not like I was trying to find him. I was just trying to sort of um, see what his life was like when he was growing up. It was it was a little bit of a pilgrimage, a weird pilgrimage, I know, um, but it's what happened. <laughs> Yeah. You, you are. I'm pretty sure you're not the only one. Also, I mean, people go to the basketball Hall of Fame all the time. Like, I'm pretty sure I dragged my mom up there when I was a, I don't know, senior, junior in high school to go to the basketball Hall of Fame right. in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. So, yeah. pilgrimages are 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 okay. Definitely, and I mean, I think it was one of those things where I was trying to think about what kind of artwork I can make out of that um, trip there and then realizing that like maybe the trip itself is the work so just like going really deep into this particular experience in this particular place without having it be like here's the thing that I made from it um, so wanting to like really lean into the the obscure um, way of looking at it uh, it's interesting I mean Michael Jordan's kind of a, a great choice but I feel like you could do this with almost any like maybe some slightly obscure player because even the most obscure NBA player I bet they're kind of a legend in their hometown totally yes uh, there's probably like courts named after them and plaques and trophies and whatever right. high school they went to uh, it'd be nice to kind of pick a player and, and do a similar thing with them yeah, I think that it it is because, like, for us, it's like there – I mean, it can feel like, oh, there's a lot of NBA players and, like, there's these few that stand out or whatever, but then really there aren't that many, and so they are such a big deal in the place that they can't come from, and especially if that place is not, like, you know, a, a center of basketball. Um, so, yeah, I I think that, that, that it is interesting to sort of um, trace that, like, different people's sort of histories and the places that they're from. So please tell me what you've, you've thought of like the NBA season overall this year, how it's been going for you and what's been standing out. Yeah, it's interesting. I've kind of taken a very like, I don't know, single-minded approach to the season just because I'm, I'm kind of just following the Pelicans uh, going mm. to, to their games, uh, which was kind of fun at first and then it got kind of dark when they hit this like 13 game losing streak um right. and have been kind of climbing out of the hole since then and now that zion's back it's it's like musty tv and um i feel like all my hard work of sitting through those kind of terrible games in the beginning of the season is paying off um and kind of just been following the rest of the league through kind of highlights and box scores for some reason, I don't really have a a finger on the season. There's just so many teams that I usually think of as being good that aren't good or kind of middling in some way, um, which is kind of throwing me off. And, um, yeah, so I, I've kind of just been focusing on the Pelicans. I don't really trust any of the teams on the East, even though all of them are playing pretty well, whether it's like – Milwaukee or Toronto or Boston, um, Philadelphia continues to be this like like lifelong disappointment for me as a as a once upon a time Sixers fan. Sure. Um, and then 
I know the Lakers are good, and I know we should all be rooting for them, especially with like the Kobe Bryant stuff. But I just continue to be a Laker hater and do not want them to succeed. Nice. <laughs> the Clippers, are like, yeah, the Clippers are kind of frustrating because any given night, only four of their best five players are playing, so you don't really actually know mm, how good they are. Sure, yeah. And yeah, the rest of the West is kind of all up for grabs. Yeah, it does feel. My my favorite, you know, my favorite team is. <laughs> this is very weird. My favorite team right now, other than the Pelicans, who right. I like watching. Um, my favorite team right now is the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I was never a Thunder fan when they had kind of their big three or when they had Durant, Westbrook, or Harden. But I love this kind of like new vengeful Chris Paul. Shea Gilgis Alexander is soon to be my favorite player in the league. I like the way they're kind of playing this three guard set with Alexander, Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and then like Steven Adams is always fun. Just yes. this kind of weird Titanic looking figure that he is. Right. Yeah. And I think they're, all, I mean, it's also like, no one necessarily knew what to expect from them this year. Not at all. So that kind of makes it more fun, too, because they don't have any, they're not, like, up against any super high expectations for what they needed to do. And they're exceeding them all, which right. is weird. Totally. And I, so I recently read Stephen Adams' autobiography. And Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Stephen Adams has an autobiography. Yes. Oh, I'm forgetting the name of it. Um, I'll, I'll get that to you. I'll get that to all the listeners. It's an important read for everyone. Um, and that has just made him like this very, I think that you know, pretty much whenever I read anyone's biography or autobiography, like they become more like compelling to me as like a, a character in the like drama of the NBA and like the narrative of the NBA. But it's just been, he's just, yeah, I find him like really interesting. And I don't know if you saw that three pointer he shot the other night where he threw the ball from half court, like essentially like it was a football. It was, and he, it was, in, it was in New Orleans. I was oh, there. Oh yeah. my God. Wow. <laughs> yes, I forgot. That was so ridiculous and amazing. <laughs> he shot the ball like somebody who's never played basketball before. Yes. And then just did a little dance to himself. Which is like, of course, Stephen Adams did that. Right. And I mean, it's just like there was there's no rhyme or reason like that's not a shot that he should like necessarily like take in, you know, regularly or anything. And it's just like it's just he just seems like a fun guy. And it was just so exciting that it actually went in when. Yeah. Like you're saying it. it he took it like someone who like barely touched a ball in their life, you know, <laughs> he's a good player. I know he has like a huge contract, so it's not like he's underrated, but. He's a good. He's good. I like Stephen Adams. That was. I'm. I'm sure his teammates. Are, it's a. It's a good team. It's like some teams are more than some of their parts, and some teams are like less than some of their parts. I'm not sure which one they are, but it's definitely like the better side of whatever right. that equation is. Um, yeah, I. I like. I. I've always been a Chris Paul fan, and then he had these kind of weird years in in L.A. when they were kind of underachieving, and then a kind of weird Houston experiment where it just seemed like he was so kind of, I don't know, underappreciated. He was kind of just off to the side. Mm -hmm. And now he's just kind of back to being like Chris Paul, or one of the best point guards of all time. I know how to run this thing. Totally. And he's also, you just kind of forget that he's not actually like a selfish player and he's able to just let the other people on the team 
develop and, and work and letting like a second year player like Shade Gilgis Alexander just like have his touches and it's just it's like a better I mean once again my theory that everything just gets better once you get away from James Harden is just kind of proving <laughs> to be true. I didn't realize that that was your official theory. <laughs> yeah, but... I'm just not a James Harden fan. Yes. I mean I'm sure he's a sweet guy in person. I just would absolutely hate to play with him. Yeah, I think, um, I yes, we've discussed before our sort of like the lifeless dead basketball that the Houston Rockets play because it's centered around the way that James Harden plays and all of that. Um, and I think that uh, Chris Paul seems to be someone who like already has a chip on their shoulder even before he was traded to Oklahoma City so now it's like he just it feels like definitely he's back in a position where he has more control over the offense and like he's doing his thing and he is like a very much a true point guard and so that he's more comfortable in that position without sharing it um and yeah I mean he just he he's he's like proving his his value and his worth as a teammate which to I mean not just to Houston but to the whole the whole league yeah, him, it's like him and like two interesting people for me this season have been him on this kind of unexpectedly good uh, Oklahoma City team and your boy Draymond Green mm. on the Warriors. And the fact that they, they, among all the people, could have had this excuse of, all right, I'm just going to kind of check out this season. I'm going to wait for like some kind of trade to happen in Chris Paul's case, or I'm going to wait for like my guys to get back in Draymond Green's case. But they're just like, oh, hell no, no, I'm playing. Like, this is like, I play basketball. I'm a basketball player. I'm going out there and I'm competing every night, even if like no one really cares much what I'm doing. And it's like the opposite of the, I mean, it's easy to kind of, get on Kawhi Leonard. I mean, I, I think Kawhi Leonard has actually kind of just continued to be injured, even though he doesn't kind of say it too much. But compared to, like, the players who on any given night just kind of take nights off, Chris Paul and Draymond Green are kind of the opposite. Yeah, they're definitely, like, stepping up and not taking anything for granted. And I think that Draymond has for sure embraced like the whole like this is not a wasted year like it could be this you know rebuilding process and he seems to wholeheartedly believe that the Warriors are um, you know as soon as Clay and stuff are back that they're gonna um, be like a, a force again and that's really I mean as a fan that's a really powerful thing and like he's keeping people engaged and sometimes it like it can work. I mean, they beat the Rockets on Christmas Day, which I wasn't expecting, and I was like, kind of dreading that game. And then <laughs> his his will, like, and his ability to kind of like, you know, um, not be dejected and like continue to lead the team. It's like carrying them. Yeah, he's the opposite. He's like the absolute type of player I would want to play with. It's like he doesn't do anything suddenly, <sighs> which is like I want to go like run a game with Draymond Green. And not James Harden. <laughs> totally. I, I was just thinking about whenever he takes three-pointers, he always holds the ball for, like, what feels like three seconds before shooting. And I, f I feel like it's because he's wondering if there's, like, a better decision to make, if there's yeah, someone that like, he can pass I'm, to. I'm the fourth-best shooter. I'm, I'm the <laughs> tenth-best shooter on this team. Why am I shooting this ball? Right. No one is guarding him for a reason. I mean, sometimes they go yeah, in and it's super exciting. 
but he's he's thinking so much about like where everyone else is and what everyone else needs and how he can be the most effective like part in this sort of machine and I think that's highlighted even more when Steph and Clay are not there because everyone's just watching him more because now he's like the star of the team. But he's still like just doing Draymond stuff. Totally. He does not mind having like a game where it's like seven points and 10 rebounds and nine assists and like a great defensive game, even though no one cares. And even though they're like losing most of these games, I just like weird. I like weird players. I like, I think Draymond's a weird player. I love, I like, even though the Sixers are incredibly frustrating, I, I kind of love Ben Simmons and the fact that he doesn't shoot. Like, I think it's kind of <laughs> great. Um, right. it's like, a- analytics be damned. Like, I'm not taking any shots. Like, I'm just going like, to drive to the basket, dunk yeah. on people, make great passes, run up and down the court super fast. Uh, I like people who succeed despite popular opinion of what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that th- that we like we need those players in there to make it sort of um, to, that don't follow the formula of what it means to be successful or how you get to to be successful. Can you please unpack for me a little bit your feelings about the Sixers and maybe your thoughts about what might happen later this season? Uh, I so I grew up with the Allen Iverson, Eric Snow like super hard-nosed, scrappy Sixers of the 2000s. And I just, maybe all of my Sixers hate just goes to Joel Embiid, but he's just so annoying. I just, everything that comes out of his mouth, every, the way he plays, I just, um, sorry, that's the sound of me pouring some water. No, um, please, you got to stay hydrated. These yeah. podcasts are marathons. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just something so, and even, like, I love Ben Simmons as a player, but he's, like, like on again, off again with Kylie sure. Jenner. I'm just like, oh, my God, this dude's not serious about basketball. Like, this is driving crazy. Right. And, like, I'm not sure, like, I'm not really, sh- I'm not sure, like, Brett Brown has the personality to kind of, like, corral these people. I'm not really sure that, like, what they're doing I mean, they just, like, so many... Sorry, I'm going to try to get my thoughts together. But as a Sixers, as an old Sixers fan, if you look back on their, whatever this process was, they've just made so many bad mistakes, and people think that they're a good team because they have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, or these, like, two really good players who don't necessarily fit together. And I'm just like, I just see all the missed opportunities like they probably shouldn't have drafted Fultz, but after you draft Fultz, like actually develop him as a player. And now he's like actually doing well on Orlando. They had a chance. They could have drafted like Chris Aspazingas, but they like drafted Jaleel Okafor, who actually is pretty good. Like they could have developed him also. It's just like this way that they use and throw away players is just strange to me. And then the people on the team, they just have these personalities that are just so... I don't know if it's like a millennial divide or like a Gen Z. Who's after us? I don't know. Gen Y. Yeah, I think I they're, they might There's be like something where, millennial yeah. to Gen Z. <laughs> yeah, I'm just annoyed by this team. I don't know. It's I like think they, they're a little annoying as well. I mean, yeah. just because they, they seem 
they seem a little bit entitled. <laughs> A hundred percent title. They haven't done a damn thing. It's right. like, what are you, like, you have done nothing. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's my issue is that it's it's hard for me to take them seriously um, as a contender when they haven't yet as like a like the main parts of them as a team have not yet been to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, so it's like, I don't know. It just. Um, yeah, there's something off there. I don't know if it's because like they're two really young talents who maybe haven't figured out how to to work with each other and are just focused on what they do best separately. Um, it just I don't know if it I don't know if it will work. I mean, there I think that a lot of people picked them to win the championship this year or at least come out of the East, and it's hard to imagine them no, beating that ain't, that ain't Milwaukee that. four times. No, because Milwaukee Milwaukee is doing the most with less and mm-hmm. Philly is doing less with a lot of talent. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. They also I... like don't have guards. Like they just don't have any guards. Like what, like who built this team? I just don't understand it. I mean, I guess Ben Simmons is a guard, but not really. Yeah, no, it doesn't seem that that's where he's like most effective or it's sort of like traditional. And it also doesn't seem like he's like, running that offense like when we just talked about Chris Paul like they're not of the same generation of point guards at all yeah I do love him as like a tall point like I do just like that image of him like bringing the ball up and doing cool things with it. I'm, a, I'm a, overall I'm a Ben Simmons fan like most people given like flipping the coin between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons like oh you got to trade one would kind of get rid of Ben Simmons but I say keep Ben Simmons. I like Ben Simmons way more than Joel Embiid, which probably isn't rational, but that's just me. Yeah, it's crazy to think about them, one of them being traded just because it feels like, it, I guess it's already been like three years. It just still feels like they should have this, that they they should be able to reach this like next level. And I guess since it's not happening, it's um, like one of them is going to end up somewhere else. Eventually, see that's when it's like that's when I'm I'm never sure how much like emphasis to put on coaching, but it's like oh man, if you give this team to I don't know some like Doc Rivers or Greg Popovich or something like what would they do with all of this talent? I don't know. I just feel like they would be a little bit better, but maybe that's kind of disrespectful to Brett Brown. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, and because Brett Brown's like record, or I mean, his time coaching is is not as extensive as other people. It's so hard to know if that's what would make the difference. And maybe like, that's I feel what that happen. way. Yeah, I feel that way a little bit, like with the Pelicans. Like I'm, I don't, I don't dislike Alvin Gentry, but I do think that this team is way more talented than what their record has been this year. And I just think in different hands, things would have gone a little bit differently. I think there's, you know, the older I get, like the more I realize like, oh man, how nice would it be in my own life if I had some sort of mentor or coach of some kind? Like I realized the importance of coaching. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think about the Pelicans. I'm like, man, this team would be a lot better with, maybe someone else but then I don't know maybe that's because I, I do see the good things that Gentry does and I think he's like a really 
good coach in certain situations, and I think yeah. the team actually likes him. But I don't know. I definitely think the team is underachieving in some ways. Mm. Is this is this discussed like on the streets in New Orleans and like on sports uh, sports radio there? <laughs> yeah, but in like an annoying way that just like kind of petulant sports fans do, where they're just like. Oh, Gigi's got to go. It's like no like nuance to the conversation. Sure. Um, yeah, that's one of the weird things of watching so many games live is I kind of don't like watching basketball games with people, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, there's like this weird kind of mass mentality, this herd mentality that kicks in. It's like anytime Brandon Ingram misses a shot or anytime like – Drew Holiday turns the ball over. It's just like very entitled, like, oh, damn, Drew, why'd you, why'd you throw the ball away? Or like, you got to hit that shot, Brandon. Like, it's right. just weird and like ownership over the players that maybe I'm just a little sensitive about. So most of the anti stuff comes into play when it's just kind of angry, drunk fans yelling at the team in the crowd. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, speaking of, like, we were talking about Mardi Gras earlier, I've never seen so much, so <laughs> this is, this might get me in trouble. No, it's not going to get me in trouble because no one cares. But, <laughs> um, so our seats are in the 300 level, which is the upper deck, and they're still pretty good seats. Like, even me with my terrible vision, I can see most of the game. But we've done this thing where we start Photoshopping like instead of three eleven, we'll Photoshop one eleven onto our tickets uh, on our phone, and we'll just kind of sneak down to the lower level. We usually like soap it out after the first quarter, and then sneak right. down. First of all, if you've never watched a game from the bottom, like bowl of an arena, it's a huge, huge difference. I've spoiled myself, and I can no longer go back. Totally. Um, but being down. It's, it's like a really interesting sociological experiment because when we're up in the 300 level, like everyone's kind of happy and everyone's like cheering for the team. And like, we've kind of got like our nice little row of people who also have season tickets that we see every game. And then when we go down to the, the like 100 level in my brain, like subconsciously, or I don't know, I'm thinking like, Oh yeah, these people are rich. And they just seem like less interested and they seem like meaner and like more checked out and they just seem drunker and they're just like <laughs> feeling like alcohol themselves. I'm just like, this is dark down here. Even though the game was, the, the experience of watching the game was way better. Wow. That is, um, I mean, it, that really makes sense. I mean, I think when I, you know, when you think about like... Maybe this is all conjecture and yeah. stereotyping, but... But I mean, I think there can be... I mean, I love this idea of like camaraderie forming between the season ticket holders. <laughs> yeah, between the poor yeah. people, between the season ticket holders um, and the people who like prioritize basketball in this way. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's so interesting. I am loving that you are Photoshopping your tickets. Um, I will oh, do my best so to keep easy. this so podcast dammy. away from any like Pelicans, um, administrative, whoever. Uh, I mean, yeah, if, if I've done anything in my studio over the last couple exactly. of months, it's been photoshopping Pelican tickets. I was just going to say it's like the most like 
sort of like the art kid fights back. Like, yeah, I know how to use Photoshop. Like, I can switch that three to a one, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So you're you're happy with your season tickets. um, And yeah, well, happy is a good is an interesting phrase. I'm (laughs) I'm debating whether or not it's been good. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it again, which is weird because usually the point of season tickets is that you just kind of keep it rolling. Sure. Um, I'm, I, I think for the money it was good. Uh, I think for the money it was good, but yeah, I, I, I kind of realized that I don't want to watch the same team all the time. Mm, <laughs> That's not fair. Yeah. I'm like, I, kind of, I, would, I wish, yeah, I wish I had like a, a free ticket to any stadium in the country and I could just bounce around and see different teams. Sure. Um, yeah, that's true. Maybe that'll change now that Zion's back. Zion's pretty, like, exciting, and I wouldn't mind watching him all the time. But, yeah, the first few months of the season, like, without Zion was a little rough. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it was really hard that he got injured so close to the start of the season because there was all this momentum and excitement and then that was just gone or it felt I mean I'm not in New Orleans it just felt like that was kind of like ah we got so close to like carrying forward with this momentum and then just couldn't do it but then it did you're you're 100% right on that point but it did provide what was probably my like number one sports going experience which was his first game, mm. his comeback game, and he took over in the fourth quarter and had 17 straight points and hit four straight threes. It was literally an out-of-body experience where everyone in the arena was standing up, and it's like we just couldn't believe our eyes. Every three that went in, we just were like turning around, looking at each other. It, it was spectacular i don't know if that would have happened if that would have just been like game one of the season if we would have just expected it it's like oh yeah he's a number one draft pick of course he's gonna do this there was something there was a little bit like him being injured it kind of added this underdog status to whoever he is even though he's a superstar um that was that was i'm really glad i was there for that yeah, that is that is really amazing to to have been a part of that. And even that game, like, I, I think that the, just having watched it on TV, like, the way it was, like, building up towards him kind of, like, having this explosive quarter, like, that was also really exciting just within that particular game that it wasn't, like, set from the start. No, because the first three quarters he was pretty, like, I mean, he wasn't terrible, but it was like, okay, yeah, this is kind of what you would expect from somebody at their first game. It's like, do a little bit here, do a little bit there. And then it's like, no, I will soon be the best player on the team. And like, everyone just get on my big shoulders and I'm going to win this game. And that, that's, a, that's the thing where it's like, ah, I mean, I know he's injured and I know he got to like take care of him. But when they took him out of the game, they just killed the momentum. And then San Antonio just went on and won the game pretty easily. It's like, why not just leave him out there and like see what the hell happens? Yeah, those minute restrictions are <laughs> not uh, always. Yeah, kind of kill the buzz. Or if you're gonna have minute restrictions, let him play the last 
five minutes of the game. Like, yeah. don't restrict it. Like, just leave him out there to the end. Yeah, maybe you should be coaching the Pelicans. <laughs> no, I would be a terrible coach. I don't, oh my goodness. So much of coaching is just making people, like, believe in whatever you're saying. I don't even think it has anything to do with X's and O's. Right. No, it does seem like there. I mean, I guess a... it has a lot to do with X's and O's, but. But that's what the assistant coaches are for, too. <laughs> yeah, mean, that's true. The inspiring presence, like, I, um, Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just saying if you need like a reference letter or something, <laughs> if you're if you're the coach you've been waiting for, or you think the Pelicans... Maybe. I, I have been tempted to be like, if I ever get settled in one place too long, to be like some kind of rep coach or high school coach, or I feel like that's, that's, it, that's in my future somewhere. I don't know. I want to be a scorekeeper. <laughs> like if... I, 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 you're like a scorekeeper for the actual NBA? Oh, I mean, a scorekeeper, for, like a stats person, for, like that sits at the big long table next to the announcer. <laughs> I'm, I, I feel like we can figure out a way to make this happen. <laughs> I'm not sure what the, I'm not sure what the entry is into this. Like, right. like I don't really know. Like it's funny in art school, like you don't really learn how to get museum shows or get gallery representation. So I have like very little idea of how to be a professional artist, mm -hmm. but. I also have very little idea of how to become a professional scorekeeper at NBA games, so <laughs> might as well do that also. Yeah, I mean, you know, it makes as much sense as all these other things, and um, I think especially if, you know, um, I end up working at a university in some capacity, if I could, like, get in on some kind of involvement with the games that wasn't just watching them, I would really, really like that. Um Oh, on the college level, I think you could definitely do that. Yeah, it always seems like, especially at the college level, it's like someone who maybe semi-retired or just, you know, like it just they kind of like fell into this job. It doesn't seem like a super competitive like applicant pool <laughs> that I might be going up against. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, I just, you know, being closer to the game and maybe getting some high fives, you know, feeling like I'm a part of the team could be fun. I was actually just thinking the other day, so... I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I used to go to basketball camp every summer. This was before I decided that competition was, like, very frightening. Um, and I have some medals. I was a knockout <laughs> champion, and I won hotshot. Like, I have, like, three or four medals from my uh, time as a basketball camp goer. And I cannot believe it. I, I mean, I was, like, able to, like, when I'm watching the three-point contest, basically – at basketball camp, we would do something like that where you just, like, lock in and you try and make a certain amount of baskets from different places on the court in a certain amount of time. And I won that medal. Like, I won the equivalent of the three-point contest at my and you, basketball camp. And you camp. gave it up? Why'd you give it up? Ugh, I just was – it was just too much. Like, I couldn't – I was good at those games, but I couldn't deal with someone, like, coming at me and wanting to, like, take the ball from me or block – anyways. So I retired at a very young age, but I was just thinking the other <laughs> night, like, damn, it was so – like, I have had this other experience of interacting like interacting with basketball in like a more direct way but not like any time recently and I really did enjoy that until it came down to like um being part of a team I guess <laughs> but now that's what I long for like I long for the camaraderie of a team and um just I want you know be on like an art team and all of that like I'm just missing some of the um that sort of experience 
Yeah, I I wish there was adult basketball camp. Like, I wish there was some place where I could, like, get better at basketball, even as, like, a 33-year-old. Sure. Um, I also, I feel like we've talked about this before, of wanting, I wish there was, so, actually, this will be a nice transition into the little bit that I'm doing in my studio right now. Yeah. Um, so I have a show up right now at a gallery in New Orleans, um, of some etchings that I did with the print collective down here in New Orleans called Wood Editions. And it's run by like two really good friends of mine who I've known for a while. Uh, but they're printmakers by trade and every like year or so they bring together a few artists and like they're bringing together artists who have similarities in their work and they'll do a series of prints with these artists. And so it's like me and four other artists and each of us did kind of two different editions and it was the first time in a long time where I've worked together with artists on a show and it was one of the most edifying experiences I've had in a long time and I think it like it amounted in the work I thought the work was pretty good like not just like my, I thought everyone's work was good um I just thought it was really nice bouncing ideas off of people there was a bit of that um healthy competition that happens when you're in this team dynamic where I would see something that somebody else was doing and be like, okay, I want to add a little bit of that into my work. Uh, it was just a really good experience. And now I'm in this bit of a, like, I don't know what that is, like a, a swoon or coming down from that. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like kind of back in my studio by myself. And I'm just like, damn, like, what? Do, how do I get together with like more artists in my own practice? Like, I do love my own individual work, and I like the solitude, and I like kind of just spending time on my own thoughts. Sure. But, like, that experience was very, very exciting and fruitful in a good way. Um, so it's like, how do I bring some of that team aspect into my work on the regular? Yeah, that's so interesting because I think that we're encouraged that, you know, the solo exhibitions are the things to like strive for and um, work towards getting, which which makes sense. But it it is an isolating experience, which, like you said, can be a good experience. But I, I do think that like working beside people to create something that's like all belongs to all of you is really just like can't be replaced with anything else. Yeah, like there's something like like what is the art equivalent of like a like a rock band or like a group or like a jazz trio or something? Like I need to find like there's there's power, there's something very kind of generative about working with people. And it's one of my like major regrets about just whatever the museum model is of I don't know, biennials and group mm-hmm. shows is like like they're group shows by name, but these artists have zero to do with each other. Like they've never met each other. They're yeah. not working off of each other. Like what would it look like to take that model and actually have artists who are brought together for a show actually bounce ideas off of each other, spend time in residence with one another. Um, I just think we would have something way more interesting. I think that's such a important point. And it, it, it also is just, it's possible. Like, I mean, it's it's like just like going against the other model of bringing people together, like, you know, for these contemporary biennials or big group exhibitions, whatever. Like what you're suggesting is not out of the realm of possibility. 
No, it could eat, it, I mean, oh, there's so much that needs to be changed. But yeah, it would take a lot of kind of innovation on the part of whatever institution. It would take a lot of humility on the part of whatever artists were being brought together. Because um, there is something kind of sacrificial where it's like, okay, I'm not going to do what I normally do. I'm going to try to fit what I do into some larger goal. Um, like in our brains, we've been taught that that isn't art with a capital A, but I mean, I think it's still art with a capital A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that sometimes like working, so like collectives that are formed can kind of be considered a team, but in some ways there's, you know, it's like the, the dynamics that can come out of those, like over a longer period of time can sometimes like affect things or, you know, certain relationships, certain ways people have of working. But I think like a temporary coming together to like make something together also is is has like a power to it rather than it being like this very long relationship. Yeah, I'm I'm now that I've said like I've literally never said that out loud and now I'm like, how do I figure this out? How do I yeah. Somebody. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, and I think that oftentimes I find group exhibitions very because the the work. I mean, I'm sure that the curator is is thinking about how they can sort of bring work together that that has this connection. It's still like doesn't have this sort of. Um, it would be so much more impactful to attend that, knowing that the the artists in some way worked collaboratively together to to form what we're looking at. Um, yeah, most most most. Most of the time, it's absolute opposite, which drives me crazy. Like I, like I know a lot of great curators. I love. I have curators that I know and love. But this idea that all of contemporary art just exists in the brains of these curators and comes out to the world with whatever they kind of regurgitate for us to experience drives me crazy. Hmm. Yeah, you've got to do this thing. <laughs> you've got to, um, yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think that they're um, artists having more of a say and contributing more of themselves to the process could only like yield better results or more cohesive, stronger results. Yeah, it's like we as artists know good art. Like, it's not like we're these kind of idiot savants who only know how to make things. Like, we actually are steeped in art history. We know what's going on around us. Like we know artists in our kind of similar conversations artistically. Um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, there was like a Whitney biennial, like a few biennials ago where they had, um, I think there was like, they had like three different curators and one of them was an artist. I thought that was a really good idea. I wish they would do that more. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, just what you're suggesting, just like a residency that results in a show, but the residency isn't working on your work by yourself. It's working collectively on like a series or a certain project like that just that sounds like a very effective idea. Um, when can I apply? <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing uh, that I was not prepared for in the art world together. was the fucking applications that I'm constantly doing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No person outside of art I don't think like has to deal with this like it's a very strange experience just constantly being in a state of applying to things um it's, it's really weird it's like I, I well it's like I don't think it's that weird place where art 
is kind of in between some purely academic endeavor and then some more, I don't know, cultural entertainment world. But it's like in my brain, I'm thinking of myself as some kind of cultural producer. And I'm like, man, like, I mean, not to put myself on their level or anything like that, but I'm like, Kendrick Lamar doesn't apply to anything, you know, like Beyonce doesn't apply to anything. It's like, like, I, it seems weird to like have to, like, I've gotten pretty good at writing artist statements, but like my art is the artist statements. Like, why am I, like, like some great performer doesn't have to write about their performance. It's like, you saw the damn performance. Right. I'm like shaking my head and rolling my eyes over here for the record. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's, it's all deserves, very it true so. because it's yeah. so it's so strange and especially like applying for shows and things like that. Like that's something that I have like so little interest in. Even though I I want the shows, I just get like way more excited about like applying to things that I could actually like spend places I could spend time in. Um, and so yeah, I agree. It's just like weird that like we are also responsible for writing about our work packaging it up like you know whatever writing the perfect proposal and doing the work it's too much <laughs> you know it's, it's crazy yeah and then some like curator swoops in and then they're the person that's on the like press release and on the like like don't get me started with that <laughs> yes um yeah it's really I've been feeling pretty dejected, um, even though like I've had a good uh, run the past like half year of getting things. It just still feels like, yeah, I, I and I know that like artists that are like way more uh, further along in their careers, like they are still applying for things, too. Like it's just a part of the system. And it's just, um, yeah, it's not. It's not great. I'm really waiting on that phone call from Bill Simmons, <laughs> to be honest. Oh, my God. <laughs> when he wants me to host a podcast with Devin Booker. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's like the dream. I mean, that's part of the dream right now is that like I could. I mean, I, I want to stay true to it to the podcast I've created, but I also would like love to do a podcast on behalf of like a bigger platform. I mean, I think I think. Yeah, there's, I mean, you're just getting in, like, the reps and yes, exactly. like, putting together the portfolio, and, yeah, I feel like that space is only growing, and you'll have, I mean, it sounds sounds kind of naive and flippant to be like, oh, yeah, of course something like that's going to happen, but <laughs> I feel like there's more, I feel like this world is a little more open than, let's say, the art world. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> like, the art world. Like, how do you even like crack into it if you're not already like I've I've been extremely fortunate within the art world, but I can't even imagine what it is for people who have less of an idea than I do of how you even kind of get your foot in that door. Yes, and I feel like there's less rules to this world because it's not as established. I mean, of course, like people listening no. to like the radio and stuff like that's been going on for a long time, but just like podcasting is still like being sort of figured out as a medium and yeah I just I feel like that's the direction it needs to go and it's just to like keep going with it until like some other opportunity comes out of it, it just... yeah and it's more of a like it's just more of a mass medium like it's like I, I mean if I could be a part of one thing I would love to be a part of just making fine art and contemporary art more I don't know just more mass appreciated more mass 
participation within Um, it. I think that one more thing that like kind of relates to what you were saying before about being on a team is that I think that before I started this podcast, I felt sometimes threatened by other people's success in art or other people's artwork, especially like if I was like, oh, no, they're making work about basketball, too, or, oh, they're doing this, like, <laughs> and that was, I mean, that was, like, a lot of immaturity, but also, like, this... I, I have that as well. Great. Um, <laughs> this podcast has, like, forced me, like, like, Jeremy, for example, who was also, like, collecting basketball nets and putting up new nets and all this stuff, like, when I first emailed him, I was like, oh, my God, like, how am I gonna do this with someone who's, like, work is like they have like maybe like a process that might be similar to mine or whatever and there's like so much value in like talking to other people and like building a space for other people to because it turns out like jeremy like while maybe visuals are similar um we're working in different ways and it's so important to have the conversation about how we're working in different ways and like why that matters and all this stuff and i'm just like so tired of being threatened by what's going on um, with other people's work that this podcast has allowed for a little bit of like space where, and as far as applications go, like I get to write to people to ask them to be on the podcast versus like waiting for someone to give me an opportunity. Like I can give someone else an opportunity, you know? So it's like a little bit, 100%. it feels like I an inclusive situation rather than feeling like, oh, when will they let me in, you know? So I think that that's the, it's like this imposter syndrome, especially like with sports and art, both worlds right now that I'm between, I feel like, where do, when do I get to officially be be a part of this? And so it's just, it's so, um, it's been like a gift kind of getting to, to be in charge a little bit. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a beautiful picture of like how we're kind of better together and it's like, who tricked us? I don't know. I don't know. I guess it's just like the new political season and all of this. It's, it's, I'm just kind of rethinking a lot of my past politics. And um, it's just like so much of how we think of the world is in this kind of idea of, of scarcity. And if somebody has something, somebody else can't have something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, who tricked us? Like whatever the kind of history of modern art and contemporary art and modernism was this idea that like whoever gets to an idea first kind of stakes their claim to it and no one else can ever do it. It's like, that was all bullshit. Like who told us this lie that we can't have multiple people in conversation together, working on similar things, but approaching it from different angles. And it's just going to be kind of better in the end. I, I don't know. I'm just hopeful that, we get to a point where like I had this piece that I've been working on forever and I'm just like, Oh, I just don't want to check Instagram or check whatever. If, like somebody beats me to this idea. I'm just going to like stab myself in the heart. <laughs> I'm just like, that's stupid. Like I'm working on it and I'm working on it from my angle. And if somebody else is working on it, more power to them and we can kind of meet in the middle and have a good conversation about it. Like there's no, like, first to the finish line or I get it and you get none of it. I definitely, I definitely agree. And it's so connected. I mean, like it's for sure embedded into art that there's this like finite amount of opportunities and um, we need to be kind of, or, you know, the finite amount of ideas or iterations of those ideas. And yeah, I mean, it like is, uh, I, I hate using the word capitalism because it, 
it's means like nothing and everything <laughs> but it's like how I just think that you know that's part of how we function within the system is is thinking that like we have to work harder and be better in order to to get what we like deserve or to get you know ahead and it just is really toxic for um, almost every space it exists in including art where I think that there would be there is more power in um, collaborating working together and like collaborating that could mean so many different things you know it doesn't have to mean like oh like you put a nail on this and then I put a nail on it or like you know like a tr like physical but just this idea of like needing each other relying on each other in order to complete like what's in your head like ah, that just sounds so much better or even just like bucking against this myth of novelty or originality mm. um there was some there was something in, interesting in all the kind of Kobe bryant tributes over the last couple of weeks um obviously so much was made of how much he modeled just like the physicality of his game and his the visuals of his game and how he played the game after michael jordan and there's like one part of us that kind of looks at that and it's like i don't know looks at it and thinks of it a little like, Oh, that's a little sad. Like you just kind of tried to be this person, but there's also just something cool about embracing like, Oh, this person was really good at this and I want to be good at this as well. So I'm going to follow in this person's footsteps. And that's almost like an abomination. Like it's, it's accepted within sports kind of, but it's an abomination within any sort of, creative endeavor any sort of art world it's like oh that person did that painting already you're just trying to be like them it's like no I'm, I'm trying to do this because i really appreciate what they're doing and maybe i can add even just a little bit to that comp conversation um i don't know there was something kind of nice in thinking about how much uh like kobe bryant was this student of the game um yeah, I remember this like video, definitely this VHS tape. We were talking about VHS, VHS tapes earlier. This tape I had of Kobe Bryant. He was saying like, "Oh yeah," and then I took I took this part of my game from from Charles Barkley, and I took this part of my game from Isaiah Thomas, and I took this part of my game from Michael Jordan. And he was just so kind of sincere and honest about that. And like, no one would admit that, even though it's like obviously all the players in his generation were looking at the same players. Um, but there was something very sincere about his love of basketball that I would love to be a little bit more candid with how I live other aspects of my life. I don't know. I just thought that was pretty sweet in some of the things that came out. Yeah, I think it's this what you said about adding to the conversation that like Kobe Bryant is not Michael Jordan, but through the process of trying to be Michael Jordan, he added all of these other things to the history of basketball. Um, of course. I was listening to Bomani Jones' episode that, that came out, like, right after um, Kobe died, and he played a bunch of... A bunch of the listeners called in and left voicemails, um, and he played some of those, and this one guy called in and was like, yeah, I just... You know, like, I grew up with Michael Jordan. I, like, wasn't ready for, like, fall in love with another superstar when Kobe showed up trying to be Michael Jordan, and I was, like, always resentful of that. And 
um, Bomani was just talking about how like everyone, every player, like anyone who played basketball, like from the like 1990 on, wanted to be Michael Jordan. It just so happens that Kobe said that and did and did it like as far as not like embodying everything he did or being just like him, but like taking on that role of like this sort of larger than life figure in the NBA and like creating his own path of greatness. And so it's just interesting yeah, to think about. Yeah, like like everybody. Like, you know, people were resentful of him wanting to be like Michael Jordan, but like every player wanted to be like Michael Jordan. It's just like Kobe yeah. was the one that was able to do it for that particular generation. So I think it is. It's like, I mean, I'm sure I don't know how Michael Jordan felt about it at the time, but it's like this huge compliment. And when I think about the artists that, you know, I want to like carry things on that they've done or respond to what they've done through my own artwork, it's like it's always out of just like this intense appreciation and respect for like what has already been created yeah and somehow that became like uncool at some point and i think i need to get back to that point of being okay with just being a fan of art yeah yeah it's really um it's hard to maintain when when you feel that yeah it's just not the most it's an exclusive space and and you know some like not to say that I'm excluded from it, but when it just doesn't feel like necessarily healthier, you can't interact with it the way that you want to. Yeah, it's, I, I've been thinking about the place mentors recently, and it's like how, like, even if I knew which artists I wanted to reach out to and connect to, like, what would that even be greeted as? Like, there's something built into sports where, as a young player, you enter a team with older players and that mm. kind of mentorship is already built in or like somebody like Kobe Bryant gets to play with Michael Jordan at the end of Michael Jordan's career, at the beginning of Kobe Bryant's career. And it's this built in um, mentoring, this built in like tutoring that happens. I mean, obviously it's embedded within competition and competition is great as well. Um, it's like, how does that even happen in a creative space? And I'm, I'm, I would love to figure that out for myself as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's what, what keeps the competition, like, healthy is that people are, like, by competing against each other, you're passing on knowledge. Um, I mean, in basketball, for sure. And it's just, yeah, it's not, unless you unless you went to a, an MFA program or, or whatever kind of program where you just had this, like, specific professor that just is, like, your lifelong person, it's, like, hard to find that within the art world, for sure. The other thing I wanted to touch on um, quickly was the other night I turned on the TV, and it was some halftime, and they were playing, um, this was like ESPN, they were playing some highlights from games around the league. And the Miami Heat were playing the Utah Jazz. And it was a stunningly gorgeous, like, color arrangement. It was the Utah Jazz were oh, wearing their yeah. orange and yellow <laughs> jerseys. And the Miami was, of course, wearing their pink and blue jerseys. And it was like, this is gorgeous. Like, this is so beautiful. And I thought of you because we talked I'm about, like, you know, the best and worst of the logos and jerseys, you know? I love all the, like, city-specific jerseys, like the Miami, like, Miami Vice mm -hmm. coral. And 
aqua or coral, like, like pink and teal jerseys are their best jerseys. I don't know why they would ever go back to wearing the kind of burnt red ones that they wear as like the regular Miami Heat. Totally. Um, Every player looks thing, so like, handsome. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just they like... Look, they look fantastic. Yes. I mean, uh, the guy, yes, that's, that's part of the reason why Derek <laughs> Jones won the dunk contest because he's wearing the, the, the Miami Heat, like, jerseys totally um, orlando is right not now, there yet <laughs> yeah right now the um yeah i don't know what's up with theirs like that doesn't even make sense they're like gray and orange like i'm not sure what's happening with those yes i um, I, I noticed that and i was like where did orange come from you know it just i need some yeah, consistency like, here i mean orlando was like the one team that originally had their actual jersey make sense with their city because they're like basically like a Disney World plant in the NBA. Right, um, yes. Another story. But, yeah, so right now, New Orleans is wearing their Mardi Gras jerseys mm, with, like, yeah. the purple, gold, and uh, green. And they're their best jerseys. Why would they ever wear anything else? Like, they're fantastic. Right. Like, I don't know why the Pelicans' colors are, like, navy blue and gold and red. That has nothing to do with New Orleans. No. Like, every team should wear their, their city colors. Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree. It's just everyone looks better. I remember those Mardi Gras jerseys. They're really lovely. No other team in the NBA is purple, green, and yellow. Um, and, yeah, why not wear those all the time? Right. Also, I mean, like the, those jazz jerseys, it's like, how was purple your color for like 20 years? Like, th- this is such, they, they're so different and unique and just like gorgeous. Um, yeah, those orange faded ones are yes. really cool. I like those. I know. And so I just, um, and I mean, I think I'm really also partial to the Warriors transition from that weird masked warrior figure to the bridge. Um, and that they have really yeah, the good city jerseys. Yeah, I mean, what I mean, like, it's not, it's like night and day. I mean, it was just went from being weird and creepy to being like, understandable and and beautiful and effective um yeah it's like keep it simple it's like you used to have great jerseys. like some teams just should never like the celtics should just always have green and white jerseys like yeah. don't add black don't add anything to them like the lakers don't add black to the jerseys just keep it purple and gold like you have a great thing like don't screw it up yeah, I really um I feel so strongly about that this year and um I think it makes like like you were saying it makes the jerseys that are not there yet um Orlando stand out more when it's like come on let's get this together like you, yeah, you it's see like, who's, who's in charge of that? I know yeah, it's like so. do these people I mean like who are you hiring for this? I don't know it just I mean like, there's a there's a direct correlation like I haven't done the actual like like regression analysis, but I think there's a correlation between having good jerseys and winning championships. Like it's just yeah. like the Warriors changed their jerseys and they just started winning championships. Definitely. I have to say, like, I feel like Cleveland is like a little bit the exception to that re- recent history because I, I they have not I, nailed their I, jerseys for I me. I like the Cleveland jerseys, though. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I mean, they're called Cleveland, which is a terrible place, but they can't help that. Like, <laughs> But the jerseys actually have like decent, it's like a decent kind of, like somebody who's color theory actually played around with those jerseys. 
Okay. Like it has like good typography. Like I hate that C. Like I, I hate the kind of logo C. Mm-hmm. But when it just has like calves on the jersey, I think those are kind of slick, actually. Okay, I will trust your color theory analysis because I do not have that same. Um, I'm not coming from the same place. I just those are the colors of my high school. Um, so they're forever. I will associate that red with the my PE uniform. So I just yeah, cannot. I can't yeah, get on rough. board with um, with the Cavs jerseys yet. But um, yeah, I think I think that yeah, just the we'll see what happens in the future. They could still um, stage a comeback. But maybe, who knows, maybe, like, the Miami jerseys will, like, carry the heat to the finals this year. It's, like, their destiny because they have the best jersey. Yeah, they should wear those all the time. They should never wear the red ones. Yeah. Yeah, and that was really, that did, I was thinking about how, yeah, just, I mean, Derek Jones Jr. just was, like, it's a good look. It's a great look. They're beautiful colors. So, huge (laughs) shout-out to, like... like, yeah, the, the, it's like written in, in like graffiti on the front, or like kind of like <sighs> like neon letters on the. Yeah, good, good, good job, y'all. I know. I wanted the jazz and the heat to take like a group picture together or something. Like you know, you're just like do like every <laughs> other person. Like I wanna, I want like a bedspread made out it of took their a jerseys. Lot of group together, it was called the the game. They took a lot of pictures together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I know. I mean, I'm wondering if they're recognizing that they're like creating this like stunning visual I mean besides like what they do like actually if they're just like by putting on the jersey they're they're creating this like masterpiece yep that's my those are my thoughts those are all my um so far NBA season thoughts except I'm still into the Mavs I would like the Mavs to go as far as possible um I I like the Mavs they're good yeah Luca beast Definitely. And he, I mean, they're just like, he seems like super hungry and like just really um, like ready. I mean, I don't know if he's ready for the pressure of the playoffs, but I mean, I think that I'd like, I mean, I'm excited to see him in the playoffs this year. Um, I mean, he's a hundred percent ready for the pressure. I mean, he's like a, a EuroLeague MVP. He's won like EuroLeague titles. I know. I just, when he rips his jersey, like I'm worried about him. Like I, I hope that he sees. I hope that he sees a therapist or something like that. He's getting some support because he definitely is under a lot of pressure right now, as far as like being so young and so talented and so many. There's so much that is expected of him. They're 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 playing with house money right now, though. I mean, I don't think anybody was expecting Dallas That's to true. be super good here. So I think I think they they're they're kind of working at a good place right now. Yes, I hope that they continue to do well, and I hope Memphis gets into the playoffs. I think that'd be really exciting. But if they're going up against the Pelicans for that eighth seed, I, I'm I'm rooting for the Pelicans. Um, oh, don't worry, I like Memphis too. Oh my goodness! Memphis yeah, they're exciting. I mean, and I, I yeah, I, yeah. Um, and I guess I just like don't. I don't know where to put my allegiances. I guess as things get more serious, I'll figure out who I really... And I think that the Raptors are exciting that the Raptors are still so good. I'm really enjoying that they that they are not sort of facing like a big slide because of losing Kawhi. So I'm really No, they're actually well. like, might just spend their title, which is kind of cool. I yeah, like that. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. So those are my... Yeah, and I like love Giannis and I want to see Giannis do well. I think it'd be exciting if he was in the finals. Um... That's kind of where I'm at right now with my my hopes and dreams for the season. 
good. I'm glad we, I feel like we really touched on everything. I'm glad we worked the, the art into there. I think we did, yeah. yeah. I didn't think that was going to happen, but we got, got, got around to some art. Totally. Yeah, I'll just talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Yeah, for sure. Have a good, have a good one. You too. Bye, Abdi. Yeah, take care. Peace.